Welcome to season three of Bend the Podcast. Conversations to spark creativity, challenge beliefs, and disrupt what it means to be well. I'm Lillian. And I'm Deb. This season, we have some former guests sitting in the co-host chair. They're going to help expand our perspectives. Listen for some familiar voices. Our podcast is recorded on the unsurrendered and traditional territories of the Algonquin Anishinaabe people. We're really happy you're here today. Enjoy the conversation. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Ben the Podcast. We're really happy that you're listening and joining the conversation today. I've got a number of people around the virtual table today, and I'm excited to dive into a conversation with all of them. First off, sitting in our co-host chair is Dr. Josie Whitmer. Those of you who are a, uh, our loyal listeners will recognize her from the conversation we had with she and her partner, Mighty Valley Coffee. It was our season closer in episode two. That episode was called Right Livelihood Mighty Coffee. And I kind of feel like it was a precursor to the conversation we're hoping to have today about issues around food justice and such. So Josie, how about, welcome first off, and how about you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, thanks, Deb, and thanks for inviting me back. I'm really excited to be co-hosting this particular episode as there's a lot of uh, issues and uh, topics to talk about that are really close to my heart and the work that I'm interested in doing. Um, so by way of an intro, um, I'm currently, actually my job has changed since the podcast last time. So I'm currently a postdoctoral fellow at Queen's University in the Department of Geography and Planning. And my research is broadly sort of around social and environmental justice. And I use waste often as a lens to look at uh, issues around social inequalities in society. And uh, I'm also working as the coordinator of the People's Archive of Rural Ontario, which we're about to launch later in November. It's a storytelling archive about different places and people and voices from across rural Ontario, which I'm really excited about. And as a, you know, I'm not just my professional life. Um, I'm also an amateur sewer and baker and I like to garden. I grew a lot of hot peppers this year and have been making sauce nonstop. Um, and I'm a Raptors fan and I'm an, I would say a coffee aficionado. Uh, my partner, Jared does a lot of our Mighty Valley coffee work and I tend to do social media and taste testing. So that's a little bit about me, but we can definitely get into speaking with our guests today and you can learn more about all of us together. Yeah, you bet. Welcome, Josie. And what a, what a cool, um, I, I would love to be a coffee tester when you, you know, <laughs> ever need extra bodies, sign me up. <laughs> I'm testing one. I'm testing a new one right now, actually. Yeah, I'm excited to see what happens with that one. So welcome. I'm really happy that you're here today. Um, our guests today, <clears throat> I'm going to introduce each of them and we'll, we'll just go from there. Coral Spruill has been a board member of the National Farmers Union since 2008. She raises grass-fed beef, ducks, and vegetables on unceded Algonquin land near the town of Perth with her father and two young kids. She's a longtime advocate for climate, social food, and farm justice and works in international solidarity through the NFU and La Via Campesina, a global peasant farming movement whose goals are rooted in agroecology and food sovereignty. She works off farm at the table community food center as a youth food programs coordinator and in the kitchen. So welcome Coral. And Ramsey Hart is the executive director of the table community food center in Perth. He's an avid gardener. He's a new beekeeper and he's a mycophile, which is 
Tell us what a mycophile. I just asked off mic for those people who have no idea what that is. Tell tell us, Ramsey. Uh, a mycophile, myco coming from mycology, the study of mushrooms. So I am an amateur mushroom enthusiast and I love to wander the woods and admiring uh, the different diversity of mushrooms that grow um, and also uh, sampling them when appropriate. Um, still haven't convinced my partner that everything I bring home is safe, but uh, <laughs> there's, there, there's uh, sort of throughout the spring, summer, there's always something doing a spore print somewhere in the house and uh, trying to, to learn more about the mushrooms that are in our area. Very cool. I've just learned something new already and we're only a few minutes in. So wonderful. Welcome to both of you. I'm, I'm really, um, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about the topic we, we are going to be digging into about food sovereignty, food justice. It really, um, yeah, it, it is one that's close to my heart and I know lots of our listeners as well. And, and Josie brings a cool perspective as well. So maybe we can just start by each of you um, giving the listeners an idea about how you came to be doing the work that you're doing and not just the work at the table because Coral I know you do lots of different stuff um, how you came to be focusing your your work in these ways thanks Deb and thanks uh, for everyone for this conversation today and having us on here um, I I'm just going right ahead <laughs> with this I uh I jumped right in, um, just like I do with a lot of things. And I kind of forgot to mention I started beekeeping <laughs> not too long ago as well. I love mushrooms too. I do a lot of, I have a lot of amateur interests outside of my professional work as well. Um, I had a, a swarm arrive on my farm kind of uh, by accident a couple of years ago. So I've been keeping bees since then uh myself but sort of how I got into this all I, I think you know started in my early 20s I used to work in the health food cooperative at a worker-owned co-op in Toronto it was it's called the big carrot it's pretty well known uh at this time but it's uh it sort of was my foray into food I was raised actually um through a lot of emphasis on experiential learning. I was homeschooled for part of my childhood and it sort of uh, has been a lot of how I've come to my professional life as well. Um, so through the work with this cooperative and learning more about the food system with concerns about the struggles to sort of really kind of have local food systems work functionally for every part of that system. Uh, it sort of began as a bit of a research project that I took a couple of weeks off and worked on a, an organic farm CSA operation in Southwestern Ontario in Hamilton called Plan B Organic Farms. And I ended up sort of spending that two weeks deciding that I didn't wanna live in an urban center any longer. Uh, moving early and I haven't really looked back since uh, and my parents happened to settle in this community what's known as Lanark County out here uh, so I spent my summers on the farm for about four seasons learning and apprenticing with farmers there um, and I would spend my winters here actually learning to bake in uh, one of the local bakeries an artisan bakery called Little Stream Bakery so that sort of was really sort of the beginning of, of really the passion for food and farming. And again, the issues, sort of policies as well that surround this stuff. And when I moved to this area and began farming in my own uh, business, I started a really small CSA in partnership with a couple of established farmers in the area. I met a friend uh, named Hillary Moore, who has been a friend and mentor to me since my time in this community. And we 
We went on what we call our long blonde blind date that we went to a slow food convivium in Italy together. Mm. And, uh, and since then I became involved with the National Farmers Union in our local here in the community. And it really was somewhere where I found uh, sort of home, uh, home away from home, where I found somewhat of my sort of food and farming and, and really like political family, political social family mm. in this community. And it's kind of from there really, blossom to the connectedness with all of the work that I do sort of from this local level to the greater mm-hmm. sort of overall picture. Wow, we, we could do a whole podcast on all the stuff that you bring to the podcast as well, Coral. I often say that with guests because people bring such fascinating, like the context of the work they do and, and leading up to, to, you know, the life they've had leading up to the work they do is often so fascinating. So thanks for giving us that. I think we'll come back to some of that for sure. How about you, Ramsey? What, uh, how, how did you come to be doing this work? Well, it, it's fun to be doing this with Coral because I've learned a few new things about <laughs> Coral, even though we've worked together for years. Um, one of which being her connection to the Big Carrot in, in Toronto. And um, I, I baked granola for the Big Carrot. Um, my first after school job was with a, a as a baker in a health food store in my hometown of Oakville. And, and we had a contract to bake granola for, for the big carrots. So, yeah. um, so that was sort of one of my introductions to, to food outside of just what I grew up with, um, learning about healthy foods and, and through my job at, at this health food store as a baker. I also had sort of rural ties through my extended family, um, grew up as a suburban uh, kid, but got lots of opportunities to get out to small towns and rural areas. And, and uh, my first opportunity decided, you know, when I was figuring out what I wanted to do with um, my career, made lots of choices so that I could be in smaller communities and, and um, ended up doing environmental uh, studies and environmental sciences in school. Um, and then, you know, very long windy path uh, prior to joining the table. I spent six years uh, as a sort of activist and um, working with communities to try and uh, address inequities and, and injustices associated with the mining industry, um, both environmental and social. Uh, amazing job, amazing organization, um, but it was, you know, stretched across the country, working with many different communities, traveling a lot, um, having some, you know, tangible impacts, but often feeling like we weren't making a, a lot of progress for all the energy we were putting into it. And, and I just felt the need for a change. And, and I look back at what some of the things I've been doing lately that had really been nourishing for my own uh, self. Uh, as opposed to draining. And, and one of the things I've been doing through work, sort of uh, connected to work, but really as a volunteer, was organizing uh, a couple of community feasts in Ottawa, um, uh, uh, Indigenous community from British Columbia, or the Indigenous nation from British Columbia, the Tilcoctin nation, was coming to Ottawa uh, for a Supreme Court case. And I organized a feast in their honor. Uh, and then also for Grassy Narrows when they came for a court case. And in organizing those meals and in bringing people together around food and in spending time in the kitchen and then cooking the food and serving the food and seeing how uh, meaningful that was for both our guests that were coming to Ottawa, but also, you know, the folks from Ottawa that were coming out to honor those people. It just was like that, you know, those were highlights uh, of my time. And, and so I got thinking about food and, 
how I might be interested in my background in gardening and community gardening. And, and so I started exploring opportunities in the food sector as a, as a career change. And uh, very serendipitously, an opportunity came up in Perth and I threw my name in the hat and was very honored to have been chosen to be the director. Uh, and that was in 2014, so seven years ago. We've been working uh, here at the table ever since. Excellent. Wow. What, what diverse skills and background and experiences you both you both bring to this work and i'm sure if the whole community you know from the table were here that would be the same right you're all you all bring so much which makes it a, a really rich place um maybe just for some context could could one of you talk to you know some of our listeners listen to all our episodes some listen to only you know, one or two. And I know, you know, we were talking to other, some of your colleagues from the table and they talked a little bit about the work there, but could you give us some context? What is a community food center and, and how does it operate? And perhaps we're, we're talking about social, you know, social justice through food. How does that, how are those two things connected for people who are thinking, what? Tell us more. <laughs> I always try and think about the listeners who, you know, that aunt of mine who's living in rural Quebec who has no context at all, or, you know, folks in the States who listen, or people who have very little context. So, yeah, I try and bring that voice forward when I'm asking questions. That's so important, Deb. Uh, so I guess the, the concept of a food center um, comes out of the recognition that we have an unjust food system and that there are too many people. Uh, in our community and in many communities and probably all communities across Canada that don't have access to adequate, healthy, nourishing food um, and dignified ways to access healthy food. And so uh, the first food center um, that follows the model that we're implementing was in Toronto and like the table grew out of a more conventional food bank. Um, and was developed in recognition of the limitations of sort of the conventional food bank model. Uh, and so it introduces a, a, a wider array of programming. It has a strong focus on <clears throat> treating people with uh, dignity and respect and doing as much as we can to reduce the stigma of accessing food programs, um, though we certainly don't eliminate them. Um, it introduces, I think, um, frank conversations about the limitations of food charity as a response to the, the food injustice. Uh, and rather than shying away from those questions, you know, we try and confront them head on. And so for that reason, we also do political advocacy and, and try and change uh, awareness and change policies and, and uh, practices so that folks can have access uh, to, to nutritious food and so that they have the incomes to be able to afford to have access to nutritious food. Mm. In addition, I just wanted to say kind of my sound bite when I describe the work at our community food centers uh, at the table, but also sort of connected to the larger network. It's sort of like a holistic uh, viewpoint of food and food justice that sort of all parts of food and also just life in general and quality of life are connected. And that uh, sometimes people's access and ability to access food and food skills and other cultural culturally appropriate foods for themselves kind of is a reflection of a lot of other social impactful things like Ramsey was saying. And I know we don't actually use the terminology of food sovereignty that much in the community food centers world, um, but I think it really applies really well and sort of the basics of that is that it surrounds equality and food being a basic necessity of life, 
women being involved in local food production, democracy and local control of people having the right to determine their own food um, and sort of farming and non-farming communities working together, sustainability and diversity and also justice. And I think all of those are kind of reflective of the values of community food centers as well. And, and part of why I was attracted to the work of the table also um, when I first started sort of mm -hmm. finding out about it being in our community, it was a really exciting thing because it sort of connected a lot of the work I was doing uh, with something that was the ability to do it a bit more professionally as well, so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. May I ask a follow-up question? <laughs> jump in, Josie, I forgot to say jump in because I, I sometimes like <laughs> talk too much, so jump in. That's no, all good. Um, so that's, that's such a great intro to the table and um, I mean, from my reading about the table, um, it's such an exciting, the, the community the community food center model is very exciting. You both have talked about sort of dignity in accessing food, um, equity and health. And I'm, I'm also interested in you guys don't only just focus on human health, but also just the environment and where you're getting food from and sort of aiming for sustainability. So I'm wondering if you could also talk about sort of that interconnection between what we're eating, where we're getting it from, and also accessing the food. Carl, you want to grab that one? Or? <laughs> I, was, I had to think about it for a moment as well. Um, well, <laughs> I mean, I guess like the environment has always been something that I look at through my lens. I think I grew up in sort of nature-based learning and, that, and sort of land-based learning as well. And uh, a lot, that's why we have always had community gardens. You know, one of the first things before the table was even open was that I went for a work bee to build the raised beds in the backyard of the, of the space we had, which is not a big space, but it's amazing the amount of food that we produce there. Um, and again, I had been looking a lot at sort of food systems and the inefficiency sometimes of them, the fact that there's a lot of exploitation, uh, not only of the environment and climate, but also of the people and, and sort of other beings and animals that are in this food system. So I think that's where a lot of uh, sort of that connectedness comes with our work. And, and we really try and reach out and partner with other organizations in the, in the community as well. Again, ones that don't necessarily focus on food, but focus on uh, sort of youth engagement. Uh, we're partnering with a community farm that has actually just formed their own not-for-profit uh, in near Balderson, who, uh, who also happen to be NFU members and retired farmers. And, and there, it's really been a beautiful thing to kind of work on the land again, um, especially just given sort of the some of the circumstances of the pandemic that we've not been doing a lot sort of in person or or outdoors with humans anymore so yeah. i think uh, it sort of brings it back to that and and that's sort of the roots of of the passion for what what i do and i think a lot of us at the community food centers do as well yeah but that's so great like the if you think about you know the conventional food bank system like there's a different approach to where food is sourced from and so that's what I think is so uh, interesting and great about this this model is that we're trying to we you are trying to grow fresh food and engage with local pr producers of food and keep the footprint fairly small. There's an environmental justice aspect as well as that the social justice and it's not just canned food that's come from somewhere. Um, that's you know the, as you were saying there's there's environmental factors there's labor factors there's all kinds of factors that that go into the food the food system. 
There's injustice everywhere. <laughs> I, mean, I was just thinking as you're talking, Josie, how do we even tease apart the difference between food, social, environmental, justice, geopolitical? Like it, it seems like it's all really interconnected and it shows up probably daily in the work that you do there. Am, am I right or am I just making a little No, it, it does. I mean, I think we should be honest though and say, you know, when you talk about the food environment, our first priority is that we are creating a, a healthy and welcoming environment in our physical space and in our social space at the table. And that's where we put a lot of emphasis and a lot of our energy and resources go into that. Um, <clears throat> We, can I just add, Ramsey, that that's where it starts, right? It has to start yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we definitely prioritize and try and work as much as we can with local farmers. Um, we One uh, initiative I'm, I'm quite proud of is um, when we've had the funds available, we've uh, offered to pay farmers for uh, summer produce early in the season when they're lacking in resources. Um, and they've been able to invest that in their farm operations and then we draw that down over the course of the summer. Um, so they've certainly appreciated that and got really positive feedback from that and it sort of strengthens that that relationship both financially and socially with those farmers because um, it's just a, a real benefit for them to have access to capital early in the season. Um, but we're also, you know, buying flats of tomato sauce from Giant Tiger. Like I, I don't want to have a, a paint a picture that's not accurate of, of what we do here because we're uh, navigating both the industrial food system and all of its challenges and sometimes receiving uh, I'm really interested Josie in your work on waste you know there is a, a really problematic tie-in sometimes between um, food justice and food waste and, and as a member of the the food bank network you know we sometimes get the offcasts of the industrial food system um, and, and have to manage those and, and figure out to what degree they're appropriate to recirculate and how do we integrate them with our, our interests in healthy food. So we're, we're constantly navigating both systems, but we do try and uh, use our resources as much as we can to build up the local food economy uh, and uh, support farmers that are using sustainable practices, not necessarily all organic. We work a lot with Miller's Bay Farm, which uses uh, environmental practices but aren't necessarily organic, but we also support local organic growers like um, New Leaf and, and Warta Down. So we're, we're navigating all sorts of different versions of the food system, um, but always trying to make sure our priority is when we get the food that it's offered uh, up to folks in the community in, in a way that uh, is really dignified and, and quality food and, and uh, appropriate food. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can I just add to that a little? Oh, absolutely. I just, um, yeah, I think, yeah, again, kind of like that working within a system that exists, but trying to create change within it is a really important thing that Ramsey mentioned. And, and just to say, Josie, I really think that you are part of this work as well, because again, I think, you know, we're in a system that relies on imported food, on exporting food. A lot of the farmers I work with are sort of what would be deemed larger scale farmers in uh, the prairies who grow thousands of acres of grain and rely on somewhat of the export system uh, that's that we're in <laughs> within to sort of work within that and create a just more just system. I think it's really, it's sometimes really difficult uh, to work within that when you have an idealistic view of things, but I think it's also 
you have to address sort of those urgent care needs. And that's kind of what I talk about the different parts of the table that the food bank sort of the urgent care and it's, it's like looking at health or a hospital <laughs> where uh, there is sort of addressing the urgent need within this current system. But then also you can't really, it's like you said, Deb, you can't comb out those different parts really. I think if you try too much to do so, then it ends up uh, kind of being an uphill battle that's not attainable. And, you know, that's a real issue for people who work within our community and within social justice is, is some of the sort of mental health challenges that come along with it as well. And I think sort of accepting somewhat that we're in a system, but trying to change it is part of what I always sort of try to hold on to when I'm doing this work as well. And sometimes when I struggle with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I love Josie that you said we because um, that's exactly the ethos that we would like the table to uh, exemplify in the community that this is a, a community response uh, that it's community helping you know neighbors helping neighbors and, and it's not it's something that everyone has a stake in for all sorts of different reasons um, be it the the sustainability of our rural areas be it um, the impact of our on our health system of people that don't have access to adequate uh, nutritious food um, be it just building connections with with others in your community and being aware of, of the diversity of the experiences and realities of, of people living in our in our small town um, and so I yeah I really want the table to be a place where uh, all sorts of different people feel they have a stake and where they have a role um, as supporters, volunteers, uh, participants. And, and we, one of the, the uh, sort of mandates or philosophies of the table is, is to mix up this notion that sort of there's a certain segment of society that should have access to community food programs or food charity. And then there's another segment that maybe helps those people um, and then it's sort of a, a silo over there somewhere. And, um, you know, everybody deserves access to nutritious food. Um, everybody deserves a place to go and, and feel at home and welcome and to, to socialize and interact regardless of your circumstances. And so, you know, um, whether it's a community meal or in the community garden or our food skills programs, we welcome everyone to participate. There are times where we will prioritize access because we recognize that um, many families, for example, uh, Coral and I have you know, often discussed with other staff around our after-school program, and should we say it's for low-income families, or should we ask, or how do we navigate that? But we do want to make sure that um, folks with limited resources get access to our programs, and it's, you know, uh, so sometimes we'll sort of prioritize access and, and keep other folks on a waiting list, but generally speaking, our programs are open to, to everyone in the community. Yeah, I like, I really, um, and I'm impressed with the approach that you guys take to, yeah, making it just a community, a community effort and, um, and the, and the way that you sort of frame and understand people, different people from different walks of life that are using services. I was saying to Deb before the interview that in, um, I used to do research and work a little bit in the downtown east side of Vancouver and the term is a term of like clientization that uh, a lot of activists talk about there where like people become clients to services that they depend upon and it creates hierarchies uh, between service providers and people accessing services as well as you know in, in sort of the, in conventional food banks sort of systems like donors 
Um, and so the, those are kind of problematic um, in terms of dignity and, and the experience, the like embodied experience of accessing food and services. And so I really um, like hearing you guys talk about your sort of holistic approach and like centering dignity and centering comfort and equality, just having everybody be able to come to the space and, and uh, yeah, it's not really a question. It's a, the thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. And again, you know, I'll, I'll, I think it's important to acknowledge that it's a work in progress for us yes. <laughs> um, and that it, it's not like we've got it all sorted. Um, you know, we do, we, we had, a you know, even in our fundraising efforts, we had a, a, a donor appreciation the other night and we, organized it for some of our top donors and, and then in thinking well you know why would we prioritize uh, a special thank you to somebody that donates x uh, when maybe for them that's relatively easy and somebody else might donate twenty dollars and that's a really big deal for them so we're you know I, I i like that we've created a space where we can challenge ourselves and think about those things we don't just accept things but we are still very much finding our way in that as well. And, and it's it's also great, I guess, something we haven't mentioned uh, only briefly, but doing this work as part of a national network. Uh, so we are one of, uh, I think we're up to 14 now. Some of them are, some of the food centers are just sort of coming online, but uh, a growing network of food centers that are implementing the same basic model and same basic values, but, you know, uniquely adapted. Uh, so, you know, I guess, the an interesting example of a really uh, novel adaptation of the food center model would be the Calavit, where you know they're working really one of their focuses is on getting um, wild country foods available for folks and uh, making sure that those are available, and that's one of their models, uh, one of their priorities for for implementing the community food center model up there. Um, but yeah, we have them coast to coast to coast, and and everyone can collaborate and share their experiences, which is super helpful. Mm -hmm. That kind of brings me to a question that I think like in at the work at the table, but as all as well in the National Farmers Union, we kind of always try to ask ourselves who is not at the table, <laughs> you know, who should be in this room, uh, sort of influencing policy that is not and again sort of basing a lot of the work that I do with an emphasis on democratic principles that it's sort of really important to have that access to people who haven't traditionally been able to access it. Um, and I know at the table, we're working a lot on sort of anti-racism, anti-oppression training and trying to bring ourselves, again, trying to always improve upon what we're doing and knowing that what we work within is in the perfect model. And in the National Farmers Union, I'm very excited that we sort of have a BIPOC working group and in our upcoming convention, we have some policies going ahead to change We've always actually had as part of our organization, a place for women and youth as elected officials, um, having been recognized really when the, at our very first convention in 1969, that the voices of women and youth in the food system weren't being uh, always recognized or heard at that time. So we've been on that topic for a long time, but now we're sort of trying to create through a BIPOC working group, a BIPOC caucus that will be uh, sort of equally influential and in, in, in the room and respected and part of things as, as we move forward. So I'm really hopeful for that as well as we've been working a lot. Um, and again, the pandemic I think has really emphasized issues with migrant labor and uh, sort of not, not only within the food system but within our entire system of living uh, here in North America, especially 
um, that it's it's just something that we've really had to address that these farmers and food producers weren't at the table being part of the discussions about something that really is impactful on their lives as well. And so we also have some policies, I think, going forward to try and be more intentionally inclusive of those sections of the population uh, who are food producers and eaters is a term that we like to use uh, rather than consumers <laughs> that uh, I think really it's it's sort of again it's something like we're not perfect I, I'm not trying to sort of be on a soapbox about how much we're good we're doing because it's something that we haven't addressed appropriately in the past but now we're starting to and I, I like that we're always challenging ourselves like Ramsey says. Yeah, it's great to have those intentions built in and yeah, open, creating a space that's open to those conversations. Coral, I'm wondering um, if you could talk more, you're saying that youth are often an overlooked cat or group of folks uh, in terms of thinking about food justice and access to food. So I'm wondering if you're the program youth program director at the table. So I'm wondering if maybe you could tell us about why it's so important to include youth and children in and food, your food programming and thinking about food justice? Ooh, that's a tough question. <laughs> no, that's a good question. Um, and I guess, again, it's just something that I think, you know, maybe it's been the norm to sort of emphasize professionalism, a certain professional, you know, I've gotten to this level and now I'm respected and, and that type of thing. And I guess really the way that my life has been has been sort of respecting everyone within the community. And some of that's rooted in also like my earlier on involvement with cooperatives and even from an early age that my parents were involved in a cooperative nursery back when we were growing up in Winnipeg and, uh, and sort of I think it's, again, it's kind of emphasizing that children and youth have a lot to bring to the table. And maybe part of that is that, you know, they're kind of within a system, but there's something really so beautiful about the knowledge that comes so naturally from children and youth. And there is a real struggle for youth in our community, uh, especially now. I mean, this is a really troubling world that they're inheriting from us. And I think, um, that especially right now, it's really important to hear their voices, um, hear their struggle, and, you know, and they're also a part of the population who needs to be cared for and are not always cared for well. Um, and I think it's been really lovely just to work with the youth centers in the community. I don't necessarily have a background or training of a youth worker, but I've done a lot of training through my work at the table and again, just learning through youth, I, I think youth-led and child-led programming is a lot of what we like to emphasize as well. You know, you have to guide them, of course, a little with safety and otherwise. But I think, you know, I, I was just reading something just as an aside about education models the other day that of sort of a model that children are empty and you need to fill them with knowledge, whereas really it's the opposite is true. And I've always believed that. And I think you know, from, from being raised from a mother who really respected the voices of her children in our house and in the community was really where that came from for me originally. And, and it's just really important because I think children are impacted a lot by the social constructs that we have without any 
uh, sort of input on it. And so we value that input. And, and again, kind of children and youth and youth within the National Farmers Union go up to the age of 35. So it's quite a broad range of ages. But, uh, you know, it just it, within the community food center, we kind of work with sort of 10 to 18 year olds within the programs we're doing. And it's just been really enlightening to me to see some of the sort of triumphs, interests and passions of the youth in our community, but also some of the struggles that they're going through. Um, yeah. Oh, such a such a beautiful answer, you know. Um, and to give it a little context, Coral, uh, as somebody who's benefited, I, Lillian and I both have run groups in youth centers. And often when we'd be there, you'd be cooking with the other youth doing other programming and we'd always come out at break and there'd always be enough to go around. And some of those youth that we were, you know, working with, I, they may never have said thank you, but that made a huge difference. And in terms of their feeling like they belonged there, it just... Um, I don't think I ever told you that, but it, it, it meant a lot to both Lillian and I, but to the, to the young people. And it was several times around. It wasn't just one off. So that was a really beautiful example of just bringing to life exactly what you just, one, one aspect of what you just spoke to. Thank you, Deb. Oh, you're welcome. You're that welcome. brings a tear to my eye. Oh, you know, I think, yeah, youth are the true measure, right, of the work we do, I think, I think, in, in lots of ways. But great question, Josie. So important, hey, to mm -hmm. have young people around the table in, in, in so many different ways, for sure. <laughs> I'm just bummed that I'm like just out of the age category of being <laughs> apparently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fun. Um, as, as we're talking and as I know people are listening, community food centers make so much sense, you know, as a response to all of the things that we're talking about. Why are there only 14 of them? Why aren't there? Why aren't they the model? You know, I'm, I'm sure people are thinking that it's something that I think about a lot. And I've, yeah, tell, tell us more about that for those of us who may not know why they aren't well, everywhere. I think it's a, I don't know what the answer to this question is, but um, food is one of the necessities of life that at least at the consumer side of it, at the eater side of it, we have the least institutionalized support for from our governments. Um, you know, there are municipal, provincial, federal layers that support us in housing and transportation and schooling in medicine. Um, many of our basic needs are met through the support of those systems. And for some reason, and I, I'd be interested in everybody else's opinions as to why, I'm not sure. Um, the, the supporting people to access adequate food has largely been moved to the nonprofit charitable sector. Um, and all of the, the, not to say that the sort of government responses to all those other issues are perfect, um, but they do provide for a bit more uniformity and, and universality and access. Um, and for whatever reason, ensuring folks have access to adequate food has been put onto the charitable sector, which has to, in addition to providing its programs, figure out how it's going to fund itself and do fundraising and, um, and you know, can be innovative, but can also be very entrenched in old ways of doing things. 
most of the elements that we've talked about have been taken up by some other food programs as well. Um, so, you know, I think if you food banks have started to evolve and started to add in different layers of programs, but it, it's a very uh, mixed bag in terms of approach. So, um, so I think one reason is there just isn't the national institutional support for, for food centers or, or food programming of, of any kind. Um, they are relative to the conventional model of a food bank expensive to run. We have a much higher component of staff than, you know, so the Perth and District Food Bank, which is the organization the table grew out of, had, a, I think, a two-thirds staff person and then volunteers. And we now have, uh, I think, it's seven or eight full-time equivalent staff running the table. So that comes with the need for resources. Um, and... In an, also, in, in its implementation uh, of food center questions, norms, and, and, and the layers in society, and that's not always comfortable for people. And so it can be more comfortable for people to just keep doing things the way they're doing and to keep the existing relationships in the community where they are, rather than thinking about mixing those up and being open to change. I would, can, I would just say in addition to that as well, I think that it's something that's a bit of reflection of uh, sort of the control of our food system at a, at a higher level as well. And a lot of that is, is you know, in I'll take off my table hat a little bit here, um, just to say that this model exists in many forms, not only in those 14 community food centers. I think we see it even in our community, like Ramsey was saying, uh, that some of the food banks in the area are going to this more holistic model. Community gardening networks are a really strong thing from sort of the grassroots level that maybe aren't sort of an overall implementation of policy. But again, I think some of this like it does rely on that overall public policy implementation to be successful because there is always going to be some more opportunity in certain communities to develop these kinds of projects than there are in others. And without the sort of overall policy to promote this kind of thing, uh, government and otherwise, then it's going to be a difficult struggle. And honestly, from again, take off my table hat, but sort of an eco-socialist kind of NFU perspective is that some of it is control of people and control of the food system. And historically, that's definitely something that uh, powers in imperialism and colonialism have sort of taken. It's something that people rely upon but if you control it, then you can control money and power and influence. And so it's kind of taking those grassroots things and working together. And we, as the table, recognize that and recognize that there's a lot of smaller projects that tie in with the work that we do that aren't necessarily under the umbrella of community food centers that we really need to sort of work with and empower one another through that work. And I guess where that's that sort of solidarity versus charity model that really the table seems to em emphasize as well as the work that I do with the farmers union as well. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great context. And I think it's, yeah, it's all of those things for sure. And um, yeah, things that people don't really think about in terms of the food they're eating or consuming or donating, right? And and what what that says about me when I'm the person donating and and thinking about how that 
perhaps upholds me as a certain kind of person as well and, and how that might have to get turned on its head if we look at food charity differently. So I think that that's a really good point as well as you know, the geopolitical stuff. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's so many layers here, tons of stuff and you're both so knowledgeable about all of this. And yeah, I am. Um, Josie, is there anywhere else you want to dig in before we ask about wellness? I feel like we're barely, barely starting the conversation. It's always this way. No, I think you can, you can go ahead with wellness. I mean, there's so much to talk about, but uh, yeah, it's almost, almost an hour. I know, I know time flies. It's, it's true. And often we say to people, we want to have you back on and we really mean that in some context. So we will continue a larger conversation, but perhaps, and this season as well, we're going to be having a platform to, for people to be able to participate and continue a conversation. So perhaps that will happen um, through social media or th through other, other areas. So um, I'm hoping- I'd love to ask Josie about her work on food waste. Yeah, go we for it, time. go for it, Ramsey. That's a perfect, perfect question. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah. just tell, yeah, I'm just curious where, what are you doing with that and where, where do you see it going? Yeah, so my so my actual research is more peripherally about like food isn't the main focus. Um, I do more um, waste and waste waste labor, waste yeah. work. You said waste. Um, I, I attach the food part of it just in my brain. Well, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Interestingly, so I did my my master's and my PhD at uh, Guelph University of Guelph in the geography department, and I was working there with uh, Dr. Kate Perizzo, who's uh, Sort of, uh, she's like a foremost thinker in sort of food waste and food justice, and um, she does a lot of work with Dr. Evan Fraser and the Errol Food Institute there. So she's um, doing a lot of thinking about food waste and food policy in in Ontario. So peripherally, I work a lot. I've worked a lot with her, but my my research, um, I was working with informal recyclers in Vancouver and the downtown east side for one project. And I was also working with uh, waste waste pickers in India, and so it's it's food is definitely a part of what I've been uh, working on, but a lot of it is more to do with social understandings and management ideas and governance of waste. And so, for example, in Vancouver, um, I was looking at sort of recyclers' access to services. So as marginalized folks living in the downtown east side, working in the downtown east side what the day-to-day -day experiences are like of managing, handling waste, and then selling your waste, going and accessing food, where are you sleeping, and like that, that kind of stuff. So it was a more holistic look at day-to-day -day life in the downtown east side using that lens of, of waste. And so, yeah, I was, I was, I mean, talking about health services, talking about access to food, um, this idea of clientization in all these different spaces. So it's, it was a broader understanding, but I definitely food waste is something that I'm interested in, in digging into more, um, especially now. I, I wish that there was, I, I live in Smith's Falls. And so for me, like I, I see this happening in Perth and I, I am envious, but I want this to happen in Smith's Falls too, this model. <laughs> happening. I don't know if you know, we, we've been approached to by the mayor and uh, Rita Community Health Services and some other community members to explore setting up a facility in Smith Falls. So the existing food bank will continue to do its thing, but um, in terms of meals and, and community programs and stuff, we're working on 
finding a space. Oh, the the current uh, children and family program that we're running from the table is called Kids Kits, and we sort of try to spread it equally over Smith Falls and Perth as well, because I've been working with WAC, the youth center there over the last few years when we were doing in-person stuff. And so it's been really great to be a part of sort of the broader community outside of Perth as well. And, and of course, folks who don't live in either of these towns always access their programs as well. So we recognize that our community is bigger than just Perth itself. And mm. there's a lot, a lot of overlap there. But I'm really glad that uh, you explained a bit more about the food waste thing. I was remembering the last time that Ramsey and I spoke publicly together was uh, on a panel after a documentary on food waste actually a couple of years ago when we were still doing that kind of thing in person back at the time. <laughs> but I'm going to have to look up this clientization because I hadn't heard about the terminology before. I can send you some things if you would like. Yeah. But yeah, I think um, the food waste is just so important because I think that's so much of um, a lot of a lot of folks when they think about food banks or think about like access or yeah, access food or like how much how much food waste actually is produced in, in Canada. It's like, well, why doesn't that food, why doesn't food waste just go into, into food banks? And, and it's like, well, what do we think? What's the priority here? Um, there's different ways that food, food waste can go to places, but we don't want to be giving expired or near expired food to, to folks in our communities. Um, like that's not, that's not the model to follow. And so there's a lot, I mean, we can go on and on about food justice and food waste for sure. <laughs> Maybe another time, but yeah. I'll tip the hat as well to our uh, community garden coordinator, Joanna. I think she's taken sort of food waste and composting to the next level within our community nice. food center since she started. And we have someone, we actually have someone who chops up all of the compost so that apparently we get sort of great humus to put back into the garden and fertility for the garden within a really short time, um, that they've really increased our capability of sort of being a closed system and, and being able to deal with uh, as much as we can of our food waste within uh, our own model and, and system there, so. Very cool. Ramsey, were you gonna say something? Oh, I, I, I mean, I'd love to do a show on food waste because I think it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a very topical issue and it gets drawn into climate change and uh, equity issues. And, and I'm always uh, trying to make sure that, um, yeah, like Josie said, we're not trying to well, I, I, our, our food bank coordinator, Wendy, put it very well. It's like joining two broken systems together probably isn't the best way of solving a problem. Um, and so we've got a, a, a broken food access system and a broken waste management and environmental system. And, and just having one be the solution to the other maybe isn't the best way to go. And, you know, I think without exception, some of the solutions around food waste and and redirecting that are, are really difficult to scale um you know there's a, a lot of people have been inspired by the the movie of the the milan chef taking food waste and creating these super high class elegant meals for for low-income folks and that's beautiful in many ways but it's also uh providing a, a great experience for those folks in the moment but mm -hmm. it's certainly not addressing their their food insecurity um and uh, and to what degree is he really, you know, by by curating a selection of discards, he's not really addressing the food waste issue either. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so really trying to make sure we're focusing on what, what solutions will have a, a really significant impact as opposed to the sort of niche feel good <laughs> solutions that, that I think often get highlighted. That's a great future topic idea. I, I've noted it. We were always looking for new topics. So I, um, like I said, we'll, we'll meet again at some point. Um, before I ask you both what wellness means to each of you, tell us how people can learn more about the table. If people listening are new to the table and want to find out more, how do they, where would you point them? Uh, we have a website uh, for sure. Basic information about all, all our programs is there. Uh, we have a pretty active presence on Facebook, um, so less of your game on Instagram. I guess most of all, I'd encourage you to stop by and, and visit the center uh, a little harder these days. Ordinarily, I would say drop by for a community meal, um, but you're welcome to stop by and get a takeout meal. Um, drop by the gardens, definitely winding down at this time of year, but come spring or summer, uh, drop by and check out the community gardens. Uh, and hopefully soon we'll be back having in-person meals and, and people can come in and, and sit down and join us for a meal. Perhaps by the time this airs, you'll have, you'll be back to community meals. Here's hoping. Sure. <laughs> Coral, were yeah, you- Yeah, a good way to there? get involved. We rely a lot. We shouldn't fail to mention that we rely so much on the labor of, labor of our volunteers and as well the skills that they really bring mm -hmm. to the table and the programs that we're doing as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and we, as, as Ramsey said, we're not doing a lot of in-person things, but I'm so much looking forward to that time when we're back to more face-to-face -face programs because it's really the best way to learn about what we're doing. So mm -hmm, Absolutely. Great invitation for sure. I hope people take you up on that. Um, I don't know who wants to start, but we'd love to hear what wellness means to each of you. Okay. Um, well, I, when I was thinking on that, I think the first uh, sort of idea that came to mind as my, so as I mentioned in the intro, my background is in ecology and environmental studies. And the first thing I started thinking about was ecological concept of nested systems. And, and, and so uh, I think starting at the individual, it, it's about the individual having the conditions to thrive, but that individual can only have those conditions to thrive if if their environment is supporting them uh, in, in all sorts of different ways. And, and so that's their household and then their community and then all the difference, you know, in talking about food, that sort of nested food systems that we have. So I guess, yeah, it's, it's, it's for me, it, it's about making sure the individual, but all the supporting networks that they're, uh, they need uh, to survive are, are in place and, and uh, nourishing them to, to succeed and to their best of their, their capacity. Hmm. Thanks, Ramsey. I really like the question and I, I hope I don't overlap too much. I think my answer might end up being a bit similar to Ramsey's Oh, you know what? Well. That's, it's what it is. It's, it's, oh, yeah. it's been so good to reflect on actually, because it's something I don't take enough time to think about um, but it's so much connected to the work that I do and life I live. <laughs> so I was just sort of wrote down some things of wholeness, interconnectedness and community, um, sort of from the micro level of the communities of bacteria that are part of our foods and bodies to the macro level of, again, some of the work that I really enjoy through global connections with folks who face similar struggles in other 
communities and countries all over the place. It's it's sort of, I think, something that's always intrinsically linked. And as you were saying before, when you try and like separate that wholeness, something goes. <laughs> so there's a real balance to be achieved there. And just sort of thinking about the terms of self-care is a real buzzword these days. But I, I sometimes cringe at it a little bit because I don't think that we can have self-care without community care. And I focus on sort of really the work that we do is about the commons and the common good. And, and that's kind of what it means to me and, and why I really connect with the organizations that I work with and the community members I do. Mm. Thanks, Coral. Our community is so lucky to have each of you doing this work, you know, just given all that um, you bring to the table. It's, um, I'm really thankful. And I know um, as, as somebody who has lots of friends wishing, like Josie, you know, wishing there was one in their community, I, um, I talk about you guys and the work you do all the time. I'm really proud to be in a community that is foregrounding the stuff that you are. And I'm so thankful for this conversation and perhaps starting a larger conversation. And thank you to you too, Josie. You, I couldn't think of anybody more perfect to join this, this particular chat. I really appreciated all that you brought and your perspectives and your research and your interests. So thank you for that as well. Oh, it was great. Thanks for inviting me to be part of this. You're very welcome. I, um, I hope that everybody has a good rest of their day and we'll talk again soon. Thank you, everyone. Thanks. Thanks. Bend the Podcast is a production of Bend Wellness. For more information, check out our website, bendwellness.org. Thanks for listening.